Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Bringing you the latest from the world of sports, DFS, and gambling. With over five years of hot takes and millions of downloads later... I guess he's been doing something right. Now, sit back and listen to one of the sharpest minds in the game. Here's your host, Dwayne Callender. All right, guys, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I am sick. I am definitely under the weather, but the show must go on. We've got a UFC pay-per-view later tonight, so I'm just going to try to get through this get through as much of this card as I can with my uh, quick thoughts about this, uh, the DFS slate in general and the bets that I'd be looking to pursue overall. Uh, but, I mean, what what else could you say? You've got UFC 281, Israel Adesanya, Alex Pereira at Madison Square Garden. I mean, it is a loaded card, so... Let's get right down to it because we've got a ton of interesting aspects uh, uh, to look at, and you know, I, I think there's uh, th- there's uh, quite a bit of uh, ways to go in terms of the slate in general of uh, some of these matchups. We got a lot of tight matchups, so uh, let's get right down to it. Right off the bat, I mean, from a prelim standpoint, Carlos Olberg. Versus uh, Nikolai Nekomoranu. Uh, Olberg is one of Israel Adesanya's uh, kickboxing buddies uh, from City Kickboxing. Uh, so, it, I mean, this is a classic striker versus grappler matchup with Olberg versus Nekomoranu. I don't think Nekomoranu is that great uh, with his uh, shots, though. So, when he's actually going to take Olberg down, I think he's going to have some uh, tougher times. Uh, Getting uh, uh, getting Olberg to the ground. So this is an interesting one. If Negramoranu actually does get this down to the ground, he is in line uh, to have a uh, massive score. Because from what I've seen from Olberg, uh, it's it, it's it's still a big question mark as to whether or not he can get off of his back. So. So far in his UFC career, he's just been fighting strikers. This is the first time uh, Sean Shelby and the matchmakers have put him up against an actual uh, guy who could who could get him to the ground. It's just that I don't know if he can do it because uh, he's just been very inefficient. But I know with Nick Morano, 
he likes striking as well, and he just walks into punches. So this is a weird dynamic where I actually want to have exposure to both guys because I think Oberg has decent power. He throws a ton of volume from a significant strike standpoint. He averages over uh, five and a half significant strikes uh, per minute. Uh, so he could just knock out uh, Neg Morano and at um, eighty four hundred on DraftKings, that that's that could be a monster score if he gets over a hundred. But Neg Morano, I think if he gets a couple of takedowns over a three round fight uh, at seventy eight hundred, he could also end up with a hundred point upside. So this is one of those where, and I'm going to say this from the jump. You guys are going to think I'm going to say you're playing both sides, but from a DFS standpoint. This is a multi-entry type of card. If you're just playing um, one lineup, I, I just don't think that's the way to go about it. I think you're better off playing lower stakes where you can have multiple entries. If you've only got 50 bucks, I would say play as many entries in uh, the 20 max context as, as you can or, uh, a do- uh, or uh, like uh, the dollar contests or uh, 25 sets uh, just so you can max the, some of those contests out because it, I, I think some of these matchups are coin flips. I mean, there's a reason why Oberg's only a minus-130 favorite. Uh, Negan Moranu, uh, plus-110 as a dog. I think both guys are very liable. The inside-the-distance finish is minus-225. I think it's very likely at light heavyweight. This uh, this does not make it to a decision, uh, just being perfectly honest. Um, I think Oldberg's power uh, could easily uh, result in a nice KO. And Rodecker Boradu, because we know he likes going for takedowns and spamming it, we saw Oldberg gas himself out and get finished in the second round in his debut against Kennedy and Jigku, where he landed over 83 significant strikes in the first round and then got gassed after that first round. Because he threw too many significant strikes, and so he started pacing himself better in 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 the round. So that's why you know his significant strikes started dropping off in the subsequent fights because he realized he couldn't be going at that pace. Where I mean, that that first debut he had, it was eighty three significant strikes. So if if you if you actually look at that from he was pumping over sixteen significant strikes per minute, so. He realized that he couldn't punch himself out in the UFC moving forward. In lower tier leagues, you can get away with that because you get guys out there, um, not in the UFC. So, uh, again, Olberg, I definitely like from a, a GVP standpoint. He'll probably still make my main lineup because I think his power is only going to improve from here as he's pacing himself better. But Negro Morano, I absolutely think is a live dog here. I, I think he could put up a monster score because we haven't seen Olberg tested off of his back yet and I always get nervous when UFC starts doing these matchups and they start picking on what they think a guy might be struggling with um in the octagon because they're they're pretty they're pretty sharp when it comes to uh diagnosing uh what would make for a good fight so uh definitely uh interested in this one uh and uh, we're gonna keep this moving along I see I already spent five minutes talking through and uh uh, I'm already getting congested, but Montel Jackson and Juliet Arsett, man, this is another loaded card. I mean, at 135, 
how is this the second fight of the card? Like you, we've got so many, uh, uh, like just studs. I mean, Jackson. I mean, he's been one of my favorite guys thus far from a DFS standpoint. He's got a five and two record in the UFC, and in every one of his wins, he scored over ninety five uh, from. And so, at a nine K price tag, I get why he's priced at nine K because he could easily smash a hundred points. Um, he um, doesn't throw as much from a strike standpoint, but he averages over four takedowns um, over uh, over uh, fifteen minutes. Like the the issue is that uh, uh, his uh, the Kolaris fight is the one where he had over eleven takedowns, so it it, it spikes up his numbers, but it's still one where you know. I think from a DFS scoring standpoint, to me, he's one of my favorite plays because you're going to see a lot of folks that are priced at 9K and above that I could see getting into striking exchanges, but it's not significant enough where I can actually back them. From a game theory standpoint, I think Jackson's one of the best plays on the slate, in my opinion, because of his ability to get guys to the ground. That's his game plan, and he's strong enough size-wise where uh, he's been able to uh, uh, been hold, been able to hold guys down at 135, he's pretty big. He's got a three inch re- uh, height advantage and a and a reach advantage as well on Arsa. Now the thing about Arsa is that he's only been KO'd once in 23 fights. He's been um, uh, able to land more from a significant strike standpoint. Um, the most, uh, guys in the division, he's over four significant strikes per minute. Um, and defensively has been, uh, limited to under three significant strikes, uh, per minute in his, uh, in his UFC fights thus far. I'm curious to see, um, what, uh, what game plan ours, uh, comes up with, because to me, I don't necessarily see ours, uh, being able to, take out Jackson uh, I think the, the the reach advantage is too significant and power wise I don't think he's got anything that has stopping power on Jackson it's a matter of can Jackson get this fight to the ground and hold him down um if it stays standing I think uh Ars is still able to pick him apart at range and uh, pull out uh, a decision win but you can't be uh, stating that this should be a uh, an interesting one that it could go to decision, but I I still think that Jackson gets a finish here, uh, mainly through takedown and ground and pound. But uh, I I actually like the inside the distance number. It's it's actually one of the few that's uh, not uh, a favorite. It's it's still a coin flip. Uh, it's a plus one ten, but I think it actually finishes inside the distance. So. Uh, you know, not a tremendous amount of uh, uh, edge here uh, in terms of it not going to a decision, but I, I, I definitely like uh, uh, the Jackson side, so I think it, it finishes inside the distance. If Arsa wins, it's by decision, in my opinion. Next up, Sung Woo Choi versus Mike Trezano. Uh This is the widest spread of the inside the distance at plus 140. I'm telling you, this card is loaded with... Uh, Game theory potentials of how it's going to finish. 
Uh, from my standpoint, I like uh, 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 Choi, but it's not one where uh, I think Choi's going to smash Trezano. It's minus 170. Uh, it's just you've got guys who aren't necessarily taking this one to the mat. Um, you're going to get a striking battle. I don't like it so much from a DFS standpoint because I don't think one guy has a significant advantage over the other uh, to truly uh, finish this fight. But uh, I-, I do think Choi gets this one at minus 170. Uh, I don't have a problem throwing him into parlays. Um, so it's not a, a big uh, a big deal one way or the other for me. But I, I-, I don't necessarily see uh, Trezano uh, offering anything that Choi hasn't seen before. Uh, you know, Trezano's going to try to do some wrestling, but he hasn't actually shown much in terms of a takedown game that really uh, would put any fear in my uh, my pick of choice. So, um, nothing too crazy on the choice side, uh, but uh, inside the distance, I don't like that prop. I think it does go to a decision. Um, so, uh, to me, uh, this is a, uh, you know, play light, but uh, nothing too crazy. Uh, Carolina Kovalchewicz, uh, oh man, I am struggling, uh, against Silvana Gomez-Juarez, uh, this is, this is the best car, uh, this is the best game theory, uh, fight on the slate, in my opinion, uh, Carolina, uh, Carolina K, 8200, uh, Gomez-Juarez, 8K on DraftKings, 16 and 15, respectively, on FanDuel, Inside the distance number is minus 120. Uh, listen, this is a coin flip fight. They are both minus 110. Carolina, her path to victory is uh, throwing more strikes. Uh, she lands over f- uh, five significant strikes per minute. Gomez Juarez, much more power. I expect this fight to finish. I love this fight from a DFS standpoint. I think Gomez Juarez finishes Carolina K. Carolina is thirty eight, uh, is thirty seven or thirty eight. Gomez Juarez has a couple of years on her uh, in youth and more power, way more power. I think Gomez Juarez uh, breaks uh, Carolina uh, by the third round. I think uh, I think she takes her out, and I think because of the amount of significant strikes they're both going to throw, I think Gomez Juarez is going to crack over a hundred. And be on the optimal. That's the way I see this fight going. Now I can see Carolina finding a way of getting this fight to the mat. And scoring points. So I love this fight from a game theory standpoint. Because Carolina K can break over 100 as well on her end. And so you've got mid-priced options. With both pathways able to score over 100 points. Uh, sign me up because they're going to throw enough fight, uh, enough volume, and the way uh, the electronic scoring goes, uh, most of those punches are going to count as significant strikes. Uh, to me, this is a phenomenal DFS scoring um, contest. And from a betting standpoint, yeah, you know, you pick a side that you want to go with, but the inside the distance, I think it's very valid. I think Gomez Juarez finishes her. Uh, but uh, I absolutely like her to finish inside the distance. You'll get that at plus 225. So uh, that's probably where I'm going to be leaning towards. But from a DFS standpoint, 
I'm going to have exposure to uh, the majority of this fight in all my lineups because uh, I, I think that there are too many pathways for them to succeed, and you're going to need some monster scores, and I think this fight has a 100-point upside on both sides. Not every fight does, but I think on both sides, I, I, I think you, you'll get there. All right, so next fight, Matt Frivola versus Otman Azitar. Uh, Frivola was the favorite. Uh, he was, even as of last week, at like minus 145. It, the odds have since flipped to Azatar. And um, yeah, at 155, uh, this is weird because Frivola is the wrestler. So from a DFS scoring standpoint, you want Frivola. But I think Azatar wins this fight. This, this is the weirdest, uh, weird one where I, I think from... Uh, uh, we it's it, it's 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 uh, you got a hard puncher in Azatar. He just doesn't fight. He just doesn't fight that often. His last fight was in like 2020, and it was it wasn't even like the end of 2020. I think it was like like the summer of 2020. Like he just doesn't fight, and you know he he like I said he doesn't uh he doesn't fight that often. When he does fight, he knocks people out. He's thirteen and zero. Um, you know, if you've if you've got him, and I think he is one of the most dangerous guys in the division. Frivola, you know, hasn't fought anyone as good as Azatar. Like I get why the odds flipped, but this is a game theory scenario. Azatar is going to be one of the most chalkiest plays on the slate, and for good reason. He should be favored. Uh, like. Frivola is not, he's he's been solid, but it's like, this is a step up for Frivola, but Azatar just hasn't fought, so it, it's it's really hard to kind of get a gauge of, is he is he sharp, is he not sharp, is he injured, like, a lot of it has been, um, Azatar can get a first round knockout, and if he gets a first round knockout, he's on the winner, without question, he's 7,700, uh, it's technically a misprice by DraftKings, because both these guys should have been in the 8K range. Azatar being under 8K was always going to make him chalky from a DFS standpoint. The fact that the odds shifted to him is going to make him the most popular fighter on the slate, in my opinion. So if you want to, if you want to play game theory, Frivola is the play because he's going to have maybe 15% ownership max. And he has a pathway to victory through wrestling. And that's about it, but... The inside of distance to finish is minus 270. I think Azatar is going to knock out Frivola. Um, that's, that's the thing. I honestly think he's going to knock him out. Uh, I just don't know how much ownership I'm going to get on Azatar, given how chalky he is. Because like basically, with the odds flipping, he's going to be over 50% owned. So that means I'm going to have to be 60% or more, which... It's not ideal, but uh, in case it goes uh, the wrong way, but I, I think there's a, there's a legitimate way to go uh, go there. I may not end. I may end up being under on Azatar and just try to play game theory and do it differently. But I, I do think he knocks out Frivola uh, in most scenarios. Like I, I think he does knock him out like uh, uh, seven out of ten. So it, it's it's one of those where. It, it can get awkward. I will say this. There is a chance because of the layoff, he isn't as sharp and Frivola rolls him. 
like I, I, I again, I there's a reason why I want exposure to both fighters in this fight. I think it should score well, and that's where I, I kind of say it's like you know, from a scoring standpoint, you want Frivola from DFS side because if he gets out of the first round, he can, he can put up a monster score. A Zaitar, you're looking for that first round knockout potential, but if he doesn't get it in the first, he could you know. The, the ring rust is is very real, uh, as, as much as Dominic Cruz wants to say otherwise. <coughs> it's real that y- you could have that happen. So, I, I, as I said, I, this is a very interesting fight to, to play around with. And again, this is, this is why this is a game theory slate. Uh, you know, uh, not everyone can play 150. I'm not playing 150 because I, I just think there are so many ways you can go. But, you know, one of these fights could, like, just be weird out of the blue. Like, even, like, the Troy Trezano fight, even though that's, like, that's only plus 140 uh, to finish inside a distance. That's not like it's a huge opportunity for, like, both of those guys could get finished. Um, like I said, every one of these fights has a strong chance of finishing. Like, every single one of them. Um, another fight, like, Andre Petrovsky and Walter Terman. Petrovsky looks like an absolute beast in round one. Anytime he gets out of round one, he gasses. Gasses hard. Petrovsky looks, you know, he just, he just, like, just drags you to the ground like a, he's like a gigantic bear. But after the first round, hit like, uh, with all the muscles that he has on, he just gasses. Like, uh, the, the oxygen needed, it doesn't hold up. So, uh, I'm telling you. This is one of those interesting fights from a game theory standpoint. Petrovsky could absolutely smash the slate with a over a hundred point score and get to like one thirty if uh, if he gets the first round finish because he can get this to the ground and just maul you for the entire round and still finish you uh, in time. Wellington Terman is a Brazilian black belt uh, jiu jitsu, and if he can. If he can uh, uh, hang in there, Petrovsky gets gassed, as I said, in, in round one. There's a chance that uh, Terman can get uh, a tire Petrovsky and execute any number of different submissions on him uh, rounds two and three. So Petrovsky is going to keep shooting for those takedowns um, in round one and two. By the third round, he's going to be so gassed, he's not going to be shooting for takedowns. And Terman can be the one taking down Petrovsky. And if he gets on top, he's going to finish this fight. Uh, th- that's the thing. It's like, there's no way Petrovsky is going to survive being on his back. I think Terman absolutely can uh, survive off of his back, but not the other way around. So it's just one of those uh, uh, scenarios where you're kind of playing off of how is this fight going to uh and get there, and I, I honestly think, uh, again, there's a minus 250 to finish inside the distance. From a game theory standpoint, Petrovsky's 9,200. He's going to be lower owned than most guys, and he has the potential to destroy the slate. Turbin is a 7K underdog who's going to be very popular, but he should be popular because he has very viable routes of getting to victory. I, 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 love, I love this fight. I love this fight, and Turbin is plus 300 for finish. I don't, like, again, I don't see this going to a decision. So I can bet uh, Terman at plus 300 and still get exposure to Petrovsky in DFS formats uh, as leverage off of uh, 
the folks who are going to play Turman. Again, Frivola and, and Petrovsky, definite leverage spots off of some of the expected plays uh, on the DFS side. When we get to uh, this next fight, Aaron Blanchfield, Molly McCann, I'm going to say this. This is a, another fight that's expected to go to the distance, but there is still a very real chance Molly McCann goes through uh, anything Aaron Blanchfield has standing because Blanchfield's going to try to go for the takedown early and often, and McCann can just get, if she can avoid the foot tra- uh, foot traps in, 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 in uh, uh, trips that McC- uh, Blanchfield's going to throw, McCann's going to piece this girl up on the feet. I honestly think Meatball has a very viable chance at 6,700 on DraftKings. From a betting perspective, she uh, she is plus 800 to finish inside the distance for good reason. Blanchfield is great on the ground, and there are ways she can get Molly McCann to the ground. But if McCann can f- uh, find a way, and we haven't seen this... Um, we have we haven't uh, we haven't seen um, McCann on her back uh, uh, lately, but she did have a bad fight w- against um, Procopio where she got taken down seven times. Like there's a chance a Meatball gets taken down, and and Blanchfield just keeps repeating it and and rides that out for three rounds, and then Blanchfield's the one with a 130 point score on DraftKings, and you're dead in the water. I just look at this fight again, and, and everyone's gonna keep saying it's like I'll play both sides, but I think a lot of people are gonna fade McCann. She's not gonna get as much ownership as some of these under, other underdogs, but McCann can get a first round finish. It would not shock me in the slightest because I think she has that clear of an advantage from a striking standpoint with volume that she can get Blanchfield out in the first and even the second round if uh, Blanchfield is struggling to get the takedown secured. People are banking on Blanchfield getting the takedowns. I don't think it's necessarily a lock. So I'm going to have exposure to both fighters. And again, this is one of those cards where I don't think anyone's a true fade per se. I'm probably not going to get to a guy like Trezano, as I said, because in Troy, because it's just there's so many other fights on this card that uh, like uh, you got to start picking a couple of these. But realistically, I like uh, the Blanchfield McCann fight because of a game theory perspective. Uh, there, there are a couple of ways where you can get some monster scores. Next up, Dominic Reyes and Ryan Spann. Reyes uh, in, in, at lightweight, at light heavyweight, has been a perennial contender. Spann trying to get into the top ten. Uh, to me. This is such a step up for Ryan Spann. I think this is Reyes all day. I don't like this fight at all for Spann. But if uh, if Reyes is truly done and, um, you know, it, it, it's uh, he, he, he got beat by uh, by Yamba. Uh, he, he got beat by John Jones, Jan Blachowicz, and Yuri Prohaska. Prohaska is the, the new champ right now in light heavyweight. I'm sorry. It's like he's fought the top of the top. He like Span is such a step down in competition that 
I think Reyes just runs right through him. Like Span is one of those guys where, yeah, if you think Reyes is washed because he's he's taking too much damage, then yeah, you can play uh, you can play Span. But it's like at sixty nine hundred, I think McCann has a way better chance of getting a win than uh, a Span. I, I don't understand the odds being at plus twenty five for Span and plus three thirty for McCann. I think McCann has a way better chance of getting a win than Span does. Uh, Span has to try to wrestle. I don't think he gets Reyes uh, to the ground, to be honest. And I think Reyes on the feet is just way too much for Span. I, I think this is uh, the most obvious mismatch on the card. Next up, and uh, right after this, we'll take a quick break before we get into the main fights. But uh, Renato Moicano and Brad Riddell, I mean, this fight is loaded. Uh, Moicano... Uh, and Riddell, very good strikers at 155. I think this is just going to come down to uh, what can uh, Moicano do to get this to the mat. Because I think if it gets to the mat, Moicano is is taking this fight all day long. The problem is, I think Riddell is pretty decent at uh, takedown defense. I, I do think, um, and uh, Riddell can also get takedowns himself. But I, I do think Moicano has... Uh, uh, way more proficiency from a submission standpoint to actually uh, get Riddell out of there. So to me, this is more of a Moicano uh, from a DFS standpoint uh, and some exposure to Riddell, but uh, I'm more on... I I am more on the Moicano side. Uh, but again, the line is so tight. He's minus 125 favorite Moicano. Uh, would I be shocked at Riddell winning... No, but I think Riddell winning is more of of it, it goes to decision that he knocks out uh, Moicano um, out of the fight. So, uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna circle back uh, with the rest of the card shortly after this. Uh, please stay uh, uh, stick around for the sponsors. All right, we are back and into the main card we go. the The question. That I am still trying to figure out is, is Dan Hooker washed? I mean, basically, you got at 155, Dan Hooker, who's been a staple for a good five years now. I'm, I'm wondering, it, it, between the losses he's, he's had, between Poirier, uh, Chandler, Makachev, and Arnold Allen, like, th- those are the best dudes in the division, but he's looked awful in all those losses, like, awful, like, it's not even close where it's just like, um, yeah, you know, a couple of mistakes here and there, like, he got dusted, and the weird thing about fighting sometimes is when you get dusted against really top-level competition, the question of, like, what's the focus level, like, the desire to get to the top? Is it there? Do you start taking your eye off the ball? Are you are you as locked in with the training? That's some of the questions I have about Hooker because skill level wise, Hooker is an excellent striker. But we've seen uh, Claudio Puelas as a young guy up and coming put guys away, and he's also uh, got uh, good takedowns and submission game. Hooker has uh, excellent takedown defense over his career. Uh, he's at eight, like basically eighty percent 
on 66 attempts. So, you know, this comes out to get Poilus, get this to the bat. Um, because Hooker's been dusted a couple of times, you know, is he going to get nervous the first time he gets touched in the fight? I don't know. I, I mean, the the inside the distance prop on Poilus is a plus 180. I definitely like I definitely like that. The inside of distance finish is what minus 195. If this stays on the feet, I do think that Hooker uh, has the advantage and can uh, get the job done. The question is, what's the de- uh, level of desire? Like, is he doing it for the paycheck? Once that starts setting in, you start losing fights that people don't expect you to. I, I, I Again, I'm going to have exposure to Hooker, but... Puelas is going to be in my main lineup because at 3,500 against a guy that I I legit have questions about his level of desire at this stage of his career. There's a real question of uh, can Puelas uh, get Hooker out of there? And again, Dan Hooker's been touched a couple of times in the chin. You start doubting yourself. I, I think it's a very awkward... Um, I think it's an awkward spot. It's like Hooker could definitely put up a big score, but if Puelas gets the win, it's gonna be a big score over a over ninety. And at thirty five hundred, like that's basically putting you into comp, uh, conversation of being in the optimal, especially if he gets ground control time, um, which most people aren't expecting. But if it happens, I I, I don't want to be on the wrong side of that. So. I'm going to be definitely on Poilus um, in DFS. Betting-wise, uh, yeah, Hooker's going to be a minus-145 favorite. Um, but I, I think I'm, I'm definitely on the Poilus side of the coin here. I, I have questions about Hooker. I could be wrong, and he could silence me real quick. But uh, to me, I, I think there's real questions about the Hooker side of the equation here. Next up, a fight I want no part of. It is Frankie Edgar. Uh, Ray said this is his retirement fight. That's a big red flag for me uh, against Chris Gutierrez, uh, who is not the best uh, fighter from a striking standpoint, but the one thing he does exceptionally well is leg kicks. Frankie does not check leg kicks. The problem is, is that this could play out like uh, another version of the Cheeto Vera fight where Cheeto was picking apart Frankie's feet, Frankie not checking the kicks, and then got caught flat-footed on a a front kick to the chin that literally aged. If you watch the photo of uh, Marlon Vera taking out Frankie Edgar with the front kick, I mean, it's a viral uh, photo of how... Uh, how Frankie looked like, like you can Google the photo. It's like it was a brutal knockout. Gutierrez is not Cheeto Vera, but he can dust Frankie's leg, and Frankie's gonna keep trying to shoot for takedowns, and that leg kick's gonna be there the entire time. To me, Frankie's like he's lost a couple of steps. It's hard for Frankie to me to get the takedowns that he's used to getting on dudes. I I, I don't know. I don't know this is uh, necessarily uh, the fight to go on. Uh, the line opened originally at Chris Gutierrez minus 130. It's ballooned up to minus 230. I want no action of Gutierrez at that price, but I don't want to be on the Edgar side either as the, do- as the dog. 
Uh, to me, you know, can Frankie make it through three rounds? Yeah. But there's a real chance that Gutierrez finishes the fight with the leg kicks because, as I said, Frankie does not check leg kicks. And at his age, he's 41, he's been fighting a long, long time. Like, no one has had more minutes in the octagon than pretty much anyone else on the roster in UFC history. I forgot, like, how many hours... Uh, how many hours like Frankie has logged in the octagon at this point? Um, it's it's a ridiculous stat, but the the problem is is that he's taken a lot of damage, and the leg kicks. I'm sorry, it's the leg kicks that worry me so much about this fight getting stopped. That you know, as much as Frankie may want it, the execution of Gutierrez with his leg kicks. I don't know if uh, Frankie can make him pay with takedowns. On a leg kick at this stage. I don't think he, he has to get off speed that he used to to get to that point. So that's what has me the most concerned about this fight. Uh, I'll take Gutierrez, but I already took him earlier on in the week before this line blew up. Um, on DraftKings, he's a 9-100. Uh, there were a couple other fighters I like more, but uh, I'll have some exposure to him. Frankie, I'm just not going to take the chance on betting-wise. DraftKings-wise, he may get there in some lineups at 7,100. There's a chance, but to me, it, it's hard. It's hard getting there with Frankie at this stage of his career. I, I, I just don't necessarily see the clear pathway to victory. Next up, fight of the night, in my opinion. Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler. This is going to be just bonkers. Lots of strikes. I expect someone to get slept. It's minus 280 to finish inside the distance. Uh, Chandler has the power to take out Poirier. Poirier has the volume to take out Chandler, who's been in so many uh, scraps uh, between... uh, 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 I mean, (laughs) they've both been in there with Oliveira. Uh, They've uh, they've had the Gaethje fight. Like, this is just a wild... Wild situation. I just look at this where this is going to be, I'm going to be entertained no matter what. So to me, you could uh, throw in some money on Chandler at plus plus 185, plus 275 to finish. I do not think Chandler can win by decision. So I will say that from a betting standpoint, if you're taking Chandler, you might as well take him at the plus 275 because I don't see him winning a decision. I think he's got to finish Poirier to get the win. I think uh, Poirier is just going to land too many shots um, to win uh, for Chandler to win on a judge's scorecard. So I think it's got to come down to a finish for the Chandler side if you're taking that bet. On the Poirier side, yeah, there are pathways where he can get there, and I don't think he needs to finish. But I do think that he can take out Chandler. And from a DFS scoring standpoint, yeah, it depends on how long this fight uh, goes. Uh, but the amount of significant strikes... Uh, Poirier's 8,900, Chandler's 7,300. Chandler makes a great DFS play. Uh, I'm just going to say that. And Poirier can get there, too. Uh, that would not shock me. So, to me, this is more of a enjoy the fight. Don't go too crazy with the betting side. Because I think Chandler, uh, while he's been knocked out <laughs> four different times, he absolutely can take out Poirier. But, <laughs> I mean... I've been watching both of these guys for over 15 years. Like, th- this is just one where you just enjoy the fact that they they're able to make pay-per-view money, big-time money. 
for all the work that they'd be able to put on. Uh, so to me, I enjoy this fight, but I do think that from an overall standpoint, it's likely that it's Poirier getting his hand raised. And at some point, like, I I think one of these guys ends up fighting Conor McGregor. Uh, so with Poirier, it'd be yet another McGregor fight. Uh, Chandler hasn't fought McGregor yet, but I think winner of this fight, uh, Conor probably picks uh, picks them out if Conor uh, comes back to fight in the UFC uh, and uh, do it that way. I don't necessarily think, uh, uh, although Conor could ask, uh, uh, go for Gaethje, who knows. But, yeah, I, I mean, to me, the inside distance number, I mean, it's minus 280 for a reason. But I, I think you bet the Chandler side of it to finish inside distance at plus 275. If you want to take Poirier at plus 100, I'm not going to say it's a bad bet because it certainly can happen. Um, but I think Poirier uh, is also more likely to be a little bit uh, uh, more re- uh, reserved and not leave himself as open. I think Chandler has to go for it to get the knockout. Next up, uh, this is the most clear-cut fight of uh, the card for me. It's Whaley Zhang versus Carlos Esparza. Uh, Cookie Monster is the the champ and the underdog at plus two seventy five. Whaley Zhang literally picked up Francis Ngannou, who's almost three hundred pounds. I am taking Zhang all day, every day, no matter where this fight goes. Zhang is, should dominate Esparza. I I I don't think this one's close. I think Esparza complete mismatch on the feet. Uh, is if Esparza has any shot, she's got to get this fight to the mat, and I still think Zhang can get off uh, is strong enough to get off the ground if Carla uh, gets a takedown secured. Uh, to me, uh, <laughs> Esparza got the benefit of the doubt with uh, Rose respecting her uh, takedown game too much and just making it one of the most boring twenty-five minute fights you will ever see. And again, this is a five-round fight. I think Zhang just takes care of business. I, I don't think it's close. Um, the question is, uh, how much uh, can Zhang put up points-wise from a DFS standpoint? Because Blanchfield's 9,500. Zhang's 9,400. Uh, Blanchfield, if she hits her ceiling, she she's breaking 130. I think Zhang can do the same. This is why this is such a weird, weird-ass cart, because you're going to need points. Um but I think Zhang's the safest option on the board uh, to build around. So to me, uh, it's going to be a lot of Zhang lineups from on my end. And we're going to see just how this card ultimately shakes, uh, shapes, uh, shapes up. Because to me, I think you can, you can go a couple of different routes. But I think those routes should always involve... Uh, which you're which you're gonna get out of um, which you're gonna get out of Zhang. I, I think she's just the clear cut choice here. Um, plus one hundred to finish inside the distance. I definitely think that's viable. Minus one fifty to uh, finish inside the distance overall. Um, Esparza is not finishing Zhang. Um, Zhang is finishing Esparza. So to me, you bet the plus one hundred side, um, and you go from there. I I I, I honestly think. Uh, she gets uh, Esparza out of there. Um, so I'll be. So you know where my bets are going. Uh, I'm very much going to be on the Zang side of the fence here. Uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily 
uh, that close. Uh, you know, Esparza is a definite fade for me from a DFS standpoint. Um, there's no, there's nothing really much else that I can say about that. It, it's just, uh, I, I think it's pretty clear cut from my standpoint how I want to go about this fight. So, uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that, and uh, we'll go to the main uh, event and. Israel Adesanya has been fighting some of the most lackluster main events in the UFC, but winning because he knows he can win space with his striking and uh, outpoint the other guy. He's actually going up against a guy who beat him in kickboxing twice at Alex Pereira. The thing about Pereira is that he is scary with his power, but he still looks clunky with his striking. This is where I think Izzy kind of realizes that uh, that this is the best place to get uh, uh, Pereira at this point. He's still too raw. I think Izzy just stays at distance, still catches Pereira. Pereira is still too sloppy with his striking. And I, and I don't mean that he he's reckless. I just think he just, uh, it, it still comes out a little bit too stiff because he's worried about getting taken down that I don't, I don't see him being as smooth with his attack style as if it was a kickboxing matchup. Because kickboxing and, and MMA fighting are very different when it comes to striking in, in the motion. So I think, um, you know, Pereira is fine. Is like He's okay with eating shots. And I don't think that's a smart game plan because we've seen him uh, take, take shots. And it's an eight-ounce glove. I, I just don't think... That's the way to go about it. So for me personally, I think it. this is one of those situations where, you know, I think Izzy uh, wins the fight. I don't think it goes uh, in. Uh, I don't think it finishes inside a distance. I just think he wins like four out, uh, uh, four out of um, four out of five rounds. Um, do I think Pereira could put Izzy in trouble at a certain point? I think if Pereira gets Izzy in trouble, he he wins the fight uh, and he just finishes him because I think he just empties his, his entire gas tank to take out Izzy. Now Izzy has history on the line here because he's got uh, a twelve fight winning streak, another win, and he ties Anderson Silva. Um, in terms of title defenses, Izzy's got seven, so he's catching up to Silva. But uh, Izzy basically, I think, uh, wins this fight because I think Pereira, this is like a couple of fights too early for Pereira. I think if he had another year or two of MMA training to get a little bit more season, he, he might actually be the guy to take out Izzy. But I don't see Izzy going crazy to finish Pereira. I think he outpoints him and wins the fight. So from a DFS standpoint, Izzy being under 9K is finally viable again because he's been scoring so low in these fights. I mean, he he was surgical against Whitaker. I mean, and I love Robert Whitaker, but like Whitaker had almost no chance of winning that fight because Izzy, again, was staying out of danger, but still clipping Whitaker repeatedly. I, I, I think this is going to be... More the same. I, do I think Pereira is that much more dangerous than Whitaker? I don't. So, and we shall see. It's a 25-minute fight, so 
it could, it could, it, there could just be a moment of slip. I mean, we saw, we saw this happen to <coughs> Kamaru Usman against Leon Edwards. Kamaru was dominating the fight and just lost concentration for five seconds. And Leon put his lights out with a leg kick. Like, Usman dominated that fight against Leon Edwards. And a momentary slip, bang. Changed MMA history with that leg kick. It it could happen with Pereira against Izzy. You never know. Like, Izzy could just lose concentration even though he dominated the fight. It's entirely possible. I just don't see, with Pereira at 7,600, I don't see it happening. He needs to win um, to score well enough. He need and he needs to win and finish. I don't think he's going to land enough strikes on uh, Adesanya to get there from a DFS scoring standpoint. So to me, uh, uh, Pereira is not necessarily the play. Um, he's plus two fifty to finish inside the distance. I don't think Pereira wins a decision either. I think he's got to finish Izzy. So if you're betting the Pereira side, I would take the uh, I would take the finish uh, at plus two fifty if you're going there, but. To me, this this screams Izzy by decision, and we shall see how it goes. But uh, I'm going to get out and out of here, take some more cold medicine. Hopefully, I, I can stay up and watch all these fights because I desperately want to see this card. So best of luck to everyone. Enjoy the fights, and until next time, have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all major outlets.